podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Today's show is inspired by somebody I recently spent some time with in Chiang Mai, Thailand. So my name's Kevin Graham. I run two businesses. One's an Amazon affiliate business, and the other one is called Bulk Buy Hosting. What is an Amazon affiliate business fundamentally? Basically, it's running a collection of websites or just one website even that offers up product reviews and sends people to Amazon to purchase the reviewed product in exchange for a commission from Amazon. Now, I'm going to fill you in on Kevin's background and why I'm so excited to have him on the show. But I just want to talk for a second about why I'm excited about this episode in particular. I consider this interview to be one of the most business-focused episodes we've done in a really long time. It's similar in some ways to the business ideas episodes that we do where we suggest sort of ideas that you could launch in a weekend and go and immediately start making money. This is similar in kind, but a different style of business. Today, we're going to talk about a business model that appeals to people maybe with a little bit more analytical mindset, maybe people who don't want to sell services, but would prefer to sell products online. Let me also just say that I really think this opportunity is massive. And specifically, we're going to talk today about Amazon affiliate websites, just the Amazon ecosystem in general is creating many, many wealthy, young entrepreneurs. And here's the thing about this space. These people almost universally do not benefit from telling others about their success. And so you just hear less about it. But certainly in our community, You know, when I go to DC or Dynamite Circle events, and that's DCers are members of our private forum, when you go to events and you run into these people and you start talking to them, you can see it. You can see that this is having a huge impact on the entrepreneurial community. Now, I'm just going to click over to the Empire Flippers Marketplace really quickly, okay? So the Empire Flippers Marketplace, it's a website that sells websites, okay? And so you can kind of get an idea of like who's making money and what's going on. So I'm just going to click over here. I'm going to pull up the top 10 listings. The sale price of these businesses range from $1.8 million all the way down to $316,000. Okay. So these are all, you know, the kind of money that people would work a whole lifetime to save up that kind of money. What they do is they share the monetization method. And on seven out of the 11 of those listings, Amazon is listed as a monetization vehicle for that business. Now, one more piece of insight. The oldest business on this marketplace that I see on my screen right now is July 2012. And if I look at just the average, it looks like most of these businesses that are selling for hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars, like here's one for $900,000, was established in late 2014, okay? So what's the story here? What's going on? And could you be the next person to start a business like that? In two years from now, could we be talking about 
someone that listened to this episode that had generated a vehicle that had created generational wealth for their family. Well, I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's possible. And the reason Kevin's on the show today is because he's done this and he's going to share with us the method and the approach that he uses to do this. Okay. So I went completely off script to say all that stuff. And now I'm going to get back to my job as the host and give you the background you need to understand what we're going to be talking about. So this isn't Dan talking about philosophy for the next hour. We are really going to get into the nuts and bolts of what's happening with these websites, how people are making money, and how you might do something similar. And yes, we will be available to answer any questions you have about this approach I'm going to post the show notes and links to the things Kevin and I refer to at tropicalmba.com slash make money with Amazon. Okay, so let me zoom you then back to when I met Kevin. We were having craft beer, a few good friends around, and I am just really blown away by what him and his business partner have achieved. And We'll link to some of the case studies he's published online. I mean, he's selling businesses for hundreds of thousands of dollars that he's created with a very lean, lightweight team, and it's all based remote, okay? Today's episode is going to go through how you can build these sites from scratch, get them ranking highly in search engines, and if you get the equation right, if you find something that works, these are the types of assets that are highly sought after by investors as of this recording in early 2017. Okay, so a little bit of backstory on Kevin. Up until three years ago, he was working in Southern Australia in an IT support role, which he described to me as okay, but not super fulfilling. And again, we're talking about incredibly short time spans here that people are creating these entrepreneurial transformations. The thing that bugged him the most And this actually echoes a little bit from last week's show when we talked about the types of people that choose to become entrepreneurs, was that he could see his progress and future depending way too much on other people. You know, have you ever felt like that? Like your boss or your company is basically the gatekeeper to the type of life that you want for yourself. Now, Kevin wasn't maybe your average nine to five worker because, like many listeners of this podcast, On the side, Kevin had been playing around with affiliate websites, so he knew a thing or two about making a couple hundred dollars here or there on the internet, and he had that background in knowing how to create websites and things like that. But he began wondering, you know, can I take control of my life rather than being so dependent on others? And his next step was to listen to podcasts like Justin Cook and Joe Magnotti at the Empire Flippers and reading blogs about affiliate marketing like Niche Pursuits, which is written by Spencer Hawes. Websites like these and others that we'll mention cover how to make money from affiliate marketing and also, and crucially, how to sell those assets once they're up and running and creating hundreds and sometimes thousands of dollars in monthly profits. The more that I followed the guys like Empire Flippers, like Nits Pursuits and a handful of others, the more that I really hit this point of saying, no, you know what? I'm not enjoying my nine to five enough. This seems like the path that I want to go on where I'm actually able to travel the world, live wherever I want, have a bit more flexibility and freedom with my days. If you want to sleep in one day till 10, 30 or 11, go for it. If you want to work super late one night, awesome. 
you're in control of how you choose to spend that time. Okay, so you're still waking up at 7.30, though, and you're in the office. How does the decision come to fruition? Around that point in time, I had a portfolio of a few sites, and everyone gets into strange niches. One of the strange niches I was in at the time was pizza coupons. And so I had a handful of pizza coupon sites that had Google AdSense on them, and they were bringing in like 1500 2000 AUD a month from these pizza coupon sites. So I was like, yeah, awesome. This is the sort of money that once you start looking at like the blogs from Empire Flippers and stuff, this is the sort of money that you can go and live in Davao City in the Philippines and go full-time on this. And obviously, if you're going full-time on it, you can then grow a lot bigger. And so in mid-2013, we made the plan to come over to Thailand in January 2014 with some savings, about two years worth of savings, and then basically focus on building this up full-time. Tell me about that first month in Chiang Mai. I mean, Chiang Mai was actually our second pick city as well. So initially, based on the fact that Justin and Joe of Empire Flippers were in Davao City, that's where originally I was going to move to with Richard, my business partner. And then we started looking into the travel insurance and Davao City was in a reconsider your need to travel zone, which meant the travel insurance wouldn't cover us if we went to Davao. So then I had to start looking elsewhere and that's when we landed on Chiang Mai. Landing in Chiang Mai, though, we're in the DC, so there was a few people that we could hit up. And sort of the first week was this weird, surreal experience of trying to find where to eat, navigating around the neighborhood. It was exciting, though, super exciting, just to be in a new city and trying to make a go of being your own boss and building up this online income. How important was being there to the success of your business? I think the more important one, so about a month after we landed in Chiang Mai, there was a meetup of a handful of members of the Dynamite Circle at Bad Lads over in Porto Galera in the Philippines. And so we packed our bags, you know, having only been in Thailand for a month, packed our bags, headed over to the Philippines. And after the crazy bus ride and ferry ride eventually arrived at Bad Lads and met up with a number of other DCers, including Josh and Jill from Screw the 9 to 5. During that week that we spent there, there was a mastermind session that was run. And the key takeaway for us and our business from that mastermind was the need to switch from renting some links from a third party provider of links to building our own network for links, which about six months later, the provider that we were using suffered a huge Google penalty. All of their customers' sites were taken out. So that was a huge thing in terms of if we were still on that network, all of our income overnight just would have dropped to zero. I just want to jump in here for those of you who don't know. We're going to be talking a lot about links here, but I want to outline specifically what a Google penalty is. Okay. So the sites that Kevin and Richard are running rely heavily on being ranked first in Google. And so for the people who make these sites, very often they will go out of their way to manipulate those rankings. And occasionally when Google spots a link profile that looks unnatural, let's say for example, well, this happened to me one time, I had a website about portable bars. And I went around and bought a bunch of links that pointed to it that all said portable bars. And it was just too much for Google to take that that website, you know, everybody that linked to it used the word portable bar. So the idea here, if you're going to manipulate your links, 
is that you want it to look as natural as possible to Google. Details about these guidelines can be found on Google's Webmaster Guidelines, and we'll post them in the show notes for this episode. How did that feel like those first few months when your backs were against the wall and you were in Chiang Mai? The first month was basically spent building the content, like writing the content ourselves for the first site, editing it, posting it, getting it all built and ready that first site. So there was a lot of excitement around, hey, this is something new and we're here to hustle and make this happen. And then in like mid to late February, we started to see the very first trickle of earnings coming in from that site, you know, like 10, 20 bucks or so. And that was, again, like a really positive sign of like, yes, we're starting to make some money from this site. This could potentially, based on what we'd seen on some of the case studies, this could potentially be a site that goes on and does some great things. Case studies are popular in the affiliate world because most people aren't willing to talk about their niches because these businesses are quite vulnerable to competition. Definitely. Even still, a lot of the case studies won't reveal their niche or their actual site for fear of negative SEO or, in other words, having people send bad links to their site and potentially get their site penalized or also the fear of copycats because there's not a huge barrier to entry in the Amazon affiliate space. Could you like outline the place on the web where what you do is being talked about? You mentioned Spencer at Niche Pursuits. You mentioned Empire Flippers. Could you go a little bit deeper? Like where are the places on the web where people like you hang out? A lot of the discussion tends to happen in a handful of Facebook groups around the Amazon affiliate model. Various groups that are basically run by other guys running either businesses or similar sites to Spencer where they also try and share how to build these sites. So that's where a lot of the discussion online sort of happens is in these private Facebook groups, I'd say. There are other blogs around where they'll post case studies and various case studies will sort of be a popular case study for a period of time and then the next popular case study will come along. When you and your business partner were thinking about evaluating becoming affiliates full-time, weren't you worried that you would put so much of your energy into it and that it could just be taken away from you at any moment? Yeah, I mean, it's it's something that I'd experienced before with a couple of my smaller AdSense sites with algorithm changes and updates and you know seeing traffic and earnings drop off overnight. Let me just come in here to define two technical terms Kevin's going to mention a few times. Google AdSense and Amazon Associates. Now, these are two very simple ways of monetizing any website, but they work a lot differently. Google's AdSense displays ads to users of a website that are sort of relevant to the content that's on the page. So if I had AdSense on the side of Tropical MBA, those AdSense blocks might advertise something like a MBA program or some kind of frequent flyer miles. Whereas Amazon Associates allows you to do something much more powerful, which is sell directly products on Amazon. So I could say something like, hey, this is the podcast, Mike, that I love and use every day, the ATR2100. Check out the show notes and click my Amazon link and I'll get a commission if you buy that podcast, Mike. My business partner comes from an accounting background rather than a tech background. So he hadn't experienced that firsthand, but that certainly shaped a lot. My experience has certainly shaped a lot of the discussions and decisions around how long we hold on to a site for, whether we decide to list it for sale on a marketplace like Empire Flippers, 
things like that. The flipping model is interesting because there's so much interest from investors to kind of get their hands on these assets. And it's a way for you to mitigate the risk of potentially that site taking a huge hit. Yeah, certainly. So we've sold two large sites now through Empire Flippers. Both of those sites are still ranking and earning and making an excellent ROI for those investors. But for us, the ability to take some money off the table and build up that war chest is certainly something that we value highly. You wrote that you were able to recoup all the money that you invested in one of your sites in four months. So you start investing in January and just four months later, you get all of your money back. Have you found that to be pretty typical across your portfolio? With that first site, it was all of our time and labor, which you know we weren't charging for. Typically now, we spend about $1,000 US roughly to buy content, to have people build the site for us and all of those parts. Generally now, if we're seeing that capital returned by around six to eight months, then we're sort of happy with that because the first three or so months, you're not really ranking anywhere. And then potentially in like month four or month five, you start to pick up some of the keywords that people might search for 300 times a month or something like that. And so if you're slowly starting to get these low search volume, but highly targeted terms, highly specific terms, then you can start to get those first sales in and then it just starts to take off from there. Now, Kevin, I'm not going to say anything you haven't said publicly before, but you just said you spend $1,000 building these sites. And if I Google your name on the internet, it says that you've been selling these sites for close to $200,000. So that's pretty good. It's exceptionally good. But <laughs> So that first one was a site that was making about 10,000 US a month, just over 10,000 US a month. And that was before the multiples started to increase as the demand heated up for websites as an asset class. To bring forward 18 or 19 months worth of income from that site was a great thing. And then last year in 2016, we sold another one that was making around five, five and a half thousand a month. And that one went for 145,000. And so, yeah, obviously you can see that the multiples and the valuations on these sites are increasing as more people are really wanting to get into the buying side of websites. When you're looking at the fact that you're getting roughly a 40 to 45% return on your investment, it's kind of a tempting spot to buy into. At the time we're recording, people like you are really in the power position here, like suppliers of these sorts of assets are really in demand. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you just need to speak to any of the brokers like Empire Flippers and see that, you know, their current limitations quite often is on the supply side of people looking to sell these sites. So from a distance, this business model looks like a great opportunity for people who are internet savvy that want to get started in an online business, but also for investors. People like myself and Ian are very fascinated by this. You know, like you're telling me I could build a team doing things that we already know how to do, and we could potentially create a large portfolio of sites. And if a couple of them hit, and we get to sell them like you did, it could be a better return on our money than almost anywhere else we could put it. So is that a Pollyannish view of this? Like, If I'm excited to follow in your footsteps, what am I missing? The big change from you know when we got started at the start of 2014, going full-time on this, to now three years later at the start of 2017, is the competition is heating up 
more and more in this space. It's getting tougher to rank a website and taking more time. So initially, you know, we would start to see, you know, very solid rankings and earnings for a site after six months. Now for our newest sites, you know, we're still building now, that's looking more like the nine to 12 month mark to start to see the solid rankings and earnings, which means if you haven't got the ability to support yourself for those nine to 12 months and support the site and, you know, continue to put the money into the machine while you're not taking much out, it becomes tough. The other big thing that we're starting to see more of in this space is the big publishing companies really starting to come in. They've got powerful domains to send links to their sites from. I can give you an example. I've noticed that Business Insider is doing this where they'll have these like sort of very strange pages on their site that are like reviewing Parker pens or whatever. They come up with some plausible reason as to why they're doing this. But the real reason, it seems, is that they're trying to capitalize on the very thing you're talking about. Exactly. So, I mean, Business Insider, they have one of the examples of inserting that content in amongst their regular content. The other thing that you're seeing a bit of is, I forget the name of the company that's behind it, but one of the big publishing powerhouses during the second half of 2016 built a new site called bestproducts.com. And so they've sent links from all of their media properties like Women's Day and Clio and all of the magazines that they own all linking to their site, which is kind of along the same lines of the Amazon affiliate product review sites that we build. Finding the smaller low competition keywords is becoming more difficult. The other interesting change thing that happened in the industry last year was two of the largest sites that a lot of people talk about and model off of the wire cutter and the sweet home were sold for, I think it was $390 million, maybe to the New York Times. I can't remember exactly who bought it, but it was a huge price tag on that pair of sites as well. And these were Amazon affiliate sites. Effectively, yeah. I mean, they're built a lot bigger and a lot better than a lot of the dinky little three, five-page Amazon affiliate sites that some people build. But effectively, that's their monetization model. Try and build product review websites, get them to rank on the first page and collect the affiliate income from the products that they recommend. I certainly can't compete with the links that the publisher of Women's Day magazine can put from their sites and their articles to their brand new site that's a product review site. Their websites are considered really high authority sites in the Google algorithm compared to some of the sites that I'm getting links from. It seems like in the affiliate space, it's so fast moving like that. Like you sort of have to expect it because maybe if we were doing a interview three or four years ago, we might be kind of being like, man, I don't know how AdSense is, it's really drying up. And then all of a sudden it seemed like Amazon came along and just put fresh oxygen into the whole space. Yeah, definitely. There was, again, that sort of period from like 2010 to 2012, 2013, where AdSense was the, hey, you want to make money online? You build an AdSense site or like a website that's kind of made for AdSense. You slap a few banner objects on that site, hope people click your links and, you know, away you go. And then, yeah, in 2013 was probably the start of the shift from people talking about AdSense to people talking about Amazon Associates. And then from 2014, 2015, 2016, Amazon Associates has been like the hot girl that everyone wants to talk about and wants to be with. You're on the inside of this stuff. How might people adjust to deal with this, the longer timelines to get paid and the increased competition in this space? 
really the thing there is having either some savings or a nice big fat war chest of cash that you can start to throw at this to get you started to buy or obtain those links through outreach that you need to rank your site and to fund that for the six months, nine months, 12 months that it takes until you start to see a return from that. The other thing being as well that there's been that huge shift from these little three-page sites like the old AdSense sites were to building bigger and bigger sites. The average site that we're building now has about 30-odd pages on it. We'll have 50 to 70,000 words and it'll be a mix of like money articles that are targeting the keywords that we're trying to rank for and the profitable keywords and some more informational keywords in there as well to make the site look more than just hey here's this affiliate site that's trying to get some earnings to try and make it more like a legit looking authority site in that niche that really cares about yachting gps's and everything to do with yachting It's not surprising that the word niche has cropped up so many times in this episode because hitting on the right niche or a quality niche for your site is one of the most critical parts of this whole process. So I asked Kevin how he and Richard decided on the products and niches that they were going to build businesses around. So there's a range of tools that we use to look into that. The most important aspects are what is the search volume for that keyword? So in other words, how many times are people banging in to Google reviews of yachting GPS computers? And then to see what the average price of that product is on Amazon. Now, the yachting GPS computer is probably going to come under electronics and you're going to get a 4% commission out of it. But let's say it's 300 bucks. You're going to get 12 bucks per sale there. And so then we work backwards in terms of we expect about one third of the visitors to our site to go through to Amazon and then about five to 10% of those to actually buy the item. The only other thing to remember in there as well is that out of the entire search volume for that keyword, if you're at the first position, you're only going to get a third of that search volume. If you're in second or third, you're only going to get about 10% of that search volume. It's like a curve that's exponential in terms of as you go down the Google search results. If you're 11. If you're at the top of page two, yeah, you're nowhere. (laughs) You might get like 2% of that search volume. So I go on to say like Longtail Pro. I'm using this in conjunction with maybe AMZ Tracker or Jungle Scout. There's sort of like a milieu of tools around. Maybe we can list out some on this blog post when we put it up. But suffice it to say, you're sitting in your fancy internet marketing tool that you pay 100 bucks a month for. You're seeing this really juicy niche, let's say e-readers. And it looks like there's you know 15,000 people searching for the best e-reader online and then these e-readers are you know they can be a hundred dollars so that's pretty good and you do the math and you're like if i can rank number one for this i could make x amount a month and if i could make x amount a month for six months i could maybe sell this website for 18 months revenue how do you know if you can rank number one for that what that relies on is then deconstructing who's in the top 10 looking at the authority of those websites seeing what links those websites have got to then work out, hey, can I actually compete with that? If the top 10 is just loaded up with the really high authority sites like bestproducts.com, Business Insider, the Wirecutter or the Sweet Home and a whole heap of those sort of sites, then you're probably going to struggle to rank for it. 
If, on the other hand, you're looking at the top 10 and you're seeing, hey, look, the top three websites are all very similar sort of sites to what we build, like a small Amazon affiliate product review website, and you look at their link profile and you say, hey, yeah, I can probably equal or beat what they've done for their SEO, that's when you start to say, yep, this is a keyword that we're going to go after. Do you think it's a viable strategy to, like, say you found a niche that you were passionate about? Like you're a big reader and you love e-readers and that's a profitable product on Amazon. Is there a strategy in saying, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to like make great content about this. I'm going to try to like newsjack and like do press releases. Like I'm going to cover things in the e-reader technology space and I'm just really going to go after it. Is that a feasible strategy to make money with Amazon affiliates? It is, but you then change your time frame from, you know, that six to nine to 12 months out to you know it might be a two-year play to actually start to get enough links to rank on one of those more competitive keywords the counter to that being though if you're super jazzed about e-readers then you're going to have a lot more interest in actually writing the content for the site covering all the news updates reaching out to other people in that space and doing everything you can to get those links and to build that one site up for us, when we're operating a portfolio of about 40 sites at the moment and then you know trying to build one to two new websites every month, we're operating at a different style of game where it's kind of a volume and numbers game. It seems like if, if I'm thinking about it as an outsider that what you guys would call the e-reader passionate operator, like they're building an authority site. And I guess that if they're successful, it has the potential to last longer on average than the average portfolio play that you guys are doing, which is more like, it kind of feels like you guys are doing something similar to what traders do. It's like you're finding inefficiencies in a marketplace and you're capitalizing on them. Is that fair? Yeah, that's actually a really good analogy. I hadn't heard that one before, but I'd agree with that. It is very much a case of looking for those gaps in the market that we can fill at you know a very efficient rate and build the sites, start making some money from those sites, and then eventually flip or sell those sites. I know that your business partner is the one in charge of, Richard's in charge of identifying the niches you're going to go after. When he comes to you and says, this is you know what I want you to put the team on, how much of that is him like a spreadsheet, like it's a 65% certainty that this is going to make profits? And how much of it is a spidey sense that he's developed where he's like, mm, I'm pretty sure I got a gut feel that this niche is going to work out for us? We've got an in-house tool that we use to check the top 10, pull in data from a number of sources and use a bit of you know math to try and work out, hey, is this keyword a possible keyword for us to rank for or not? But past that, there is definitely a level of, as you described it, the spidey sense of having a look and really getting that gut feel for, hey, you know what, although I don't see three niche sites ranking at the top here, or maybe not any niche sites at all in the top 10, we're going to go after this keyword anyway, because I think we can slot in there and actually become a niche site that's in the top 10, which is basically exactly what we did with the first website the niche wasn't saturated with people building product review websites for that niche or for that product and so we built that site and managed to slot into a top 10 that didn't previously have any other sites in there when you said we have an in-house tool to identify niches my first thought was man you could charge a lot of money for that but i'm gonna make a guess that identifying profitable niches is that the biggest constraint in your business right now 
Yeah, definitely. Finding those profitable niches where we can slot into the top 10 and ideally take first position and pull out at least $1,000 a month from that site. That's kind of the constraint. At the moment, we work with one rider, so that is a little bit of a bottleneck for us. But if we really wanted to push that harder, we could certainly go out and find a second rider. Before we move on from niche selection, let's just talk broadly about what some of those important indicators are. So search volume is one. The price and the product availability on Amazon is obviously critical. The competition from the top 10 websites on Google. Are there any other general areas of information that you're interested in when selecting a niche? Yeah, I guess the one that I haven't touched on enough that you mentioned a little bit there was the availability of those products on Amazon. In certain niches, there might be some products on Amazon, but then by no means the specialist products that people are looking for in those niches. In other niches, Amazon will have some products, but only a very limited selection, which can also influence people's buying behaviors. Depending on the site, sometimes we'll go after those items that are only 10 or 20 bucks for two reasons. One in that, hey, it's a great complimentary add-on product. So if we were talking about podcasting microphones, for example, and a lot of the most popular ones didn't come with a stand, then you could say, hey, look, here's an article on podcasting microphone stands. And they might only be 10 or 20 bucks, but you know, it's a great add-on item and it also makes your site look more legitimate if you're covering everything in that niche rather than just the top profitable keywords. So Richard comes to your desk. He's like, look, I'm a big believer in podcasting microphones. I think we need to go for this. What comes next? Is it a matter of mapping out what content you want to develop about that product? So the next step after we've selected the winning set of keywords that we're going to use is building the content plan. Now that will involve actually rolling up several of those keywords into specific pages. If we go back to our podcasting mic example there, it might be, hey, here are the five best or 10 best keywords related to podcasting microphones for travel. And so rather than having best handheld podcasting microphone for travel, that would just roll into the podcasting mics for travel page. And so you craft those various keywords that we're going to try and rank for into the overall page structure of the site, which is also part of Richard's side of the business, as well as then looking at what other informational pieces that we might add in there. So although, for example, with the podcasting example, there might not be an affiliate offer for us to promote, we might talk about the best spots to get a logo for your podcast designed or share, hey, here are five great podcasting resources to go and check out if you're looking to get started in the space. In your lingo, those wouldn't be money pages. Those would be just informative pages that might bring in traffic or links so that ultimately people end up on the, well, I guess it is a great resource for podcasting. Now I'm podcasting. I need a mic. Boom, they buy through your link. Exactly. And these informational pieces are great link bait opportunities. So in other words, these are the pieces that you can very easily share with people and say, hey, like we've got this resource on, you know, the 10 best spots to host your podcast, which I mean, everyone knows that the only spot to put it is Libsyn, but maybe there's a few others out there. And so people will link to that and that will allow you to get some links to your site, which can then help make your other pages rank as well. And it's not as sleazy as saying, hey, can you link to my page where I review the top five podcasting microphones? 
So I'm scrolling through one of your sites right now that is quite successful. And actually, I've now that I, you know I've been talking to you guys and getting fascinated by this, I've seen a lot of Amazon affiliate websites. And just to describe them for the audience a little bit, I mean, they don't look so different from what you would consider to be any blog-based business. I mean, we're talking about a great logo, an about page that describes the mission of the company, and just lots and lots of information about these products from every different angle, whether that's ranking them by, you know, what kind of product are, what, you know, rating they have on Amazon, how much they cost. If you're going to make a buying decision, basically, you guys are going in there and kind of covering all the bases, right? If you're going to buy a podcast microphone, you might have questions about whether it's compatible with your laptop. So you might write a full article about the compatibility surrounding the product with laptops, for example. Yeah, that's our model of doing it where we, as I said, like we build slightly larger sites. There are still people out there who I know who are building, you know, three page, five page Amazon associate sites that only target like three or five money keywords and don't have all that additional like information content on there that aren't the prettiest sites ever you know we spend a lot of time and effort in making sure that our sites look good have good logos everything flows well basically adding all those little bits in to try and provide those trust signals that hey these guys know what they're talking about i'll trust their recommendation for a podcast microphone so in terms of the building process, more or less, how long does it take for you guys to identify a niche and create a site? To identify a niche, Richard will spend a day or two per niche that he investigates to decide, hey, is this something that we're going to go after? And basically in that process, he's looking for any reason to say no to that niche idea. Once he's said yes to the idea and come up with a content plan, our writer will generally get us stuff back within about 14 days. From there, it goes to my site builder who will take probably about three to four days, depending on how good his internet is in India. Whenever there's a storm that goes through, he's just like, ah, my internet's terrible. I can't do anything. And everything just grinds to a halt for a couple of days. But yeah, so generally three to four days with him. And then I'll spend, you know, half a day going through clicking everything, making sure everything works and flows and is good. And so, yeah, probably about three-ish weeks end to end. So here's sort of the magic moment then for people that might want to follow this path that you're on. You've investigated, you have this spidey sense or data that says you're going to make a ton of money. You've invested probably if it's your first business, a lot of elbow grease and writing long informative articles about boring products. You've got a fresh logo, you've got this gleaming website, and you push it out to the web, and it's sitting there. And it's crickets. No one is going to come to this website. What are the things that you need to do to get to that first page at Google? They recently came out and announced that the top two ranking factors in Google are content and links. They haven't said which way around it is, but most people believe links are the most important thing for ranking in Google. Now, there are a lot of different ways to get those links. Some people do the white hat method of 
outreaching to other blogs, doing some guest posting, doing whatever it is that they can to obtain those links. If it's that passion site on e-readers, then sure, you're going out there, you're trying to find all the podcasts and websites related to e-readers and offering them guest posts, offering to jump on the podcast with them, doing whatever you can to obtain those links. For us though, with these affiliate sites and the rate at which we're building them, the most effective way for us to build links is through a private blog network, which is basically a collection of websites that we own that we then use to link to our new affiliate sites, basically to give them votes in the Google algorithm to say, hey, yes, this is a quality site. I've sent a link to it because it's a quality site. You should consider ranking this higher in the algorithm. All right. So now we're to this issue of PBNs, private blog networks. These are very controversial but they're controversial because Google has come out and said, we don't want this. Like They're actively fighting against PBNs, but yet they've made millions and millions of dollars for internet marketers like yourself. Like It's hard to get links for an e-reader site in less than a year. And the way you do this is it's probably, we could do a two-hour episode on how to build a PBN, but the Notes revolve more or less around buying domains with some reputation and age. So it's almost like buying little shelf companies from domain brokers. And then you kind of pump them full of content and you kind of find ways to differentiate their IP addresses so they don't all look like they're sitting on the same computer somewhere. And then more or less, it's a randomized set of more or less bullshit websites, I think 95% of the time. Like if you come across a strange backlink in your blog profile... And it's like, oh, it's this kind of nonsense site. Like that might be part of a PBN network. Is that a fair Cliff's Notes of what these look like? That's a really great summary. Yeah. Basically, they're sites that people once had that they've let the domain name expire. You know, whether that's a restaurant that went out of business, whether that was a former political campaign or some sort of marketing initiative or an old conference or any of those sort of examples where somebody's had a business, had the domain name for whatever reason, decided to abandon it. But during the life of that domain name's former life, you know, it's obtained a number of high quality links to that site. So then, you know, that site's got some level of standing with Google. And then we use that level of standing to pass on its authority and some of the juice from the links that it's got to our new affiliate site. So if we're using the trading analogy, this is a little bit like an insider info trade, you know? So you have your asset and then you like, call your friend who like is in the industry and say, all right, make a press release that says this product's really great because I just bought a stake in it, you know? So you send these this powerful asset that you have, these PBNs, you send some links to this site and do you drip them out or you just laser beam all the links at once? Yeah, definitely. We drip them out. You know, it would look really unnatural if a brand new website just all of a sudden got 40 or 50 links on five days after it was built. Those links slowly drip out over generally three to four months. And with your websites now, you know, somebody could take a look at your network and say, oh, all these websites are hosted with the same server and stuff. Do you take efforts to diversify your portfolio in terms of hosting? Yeah. So each of the sites that we own in our private blog network sits on a separate server. And so obtaining the hosting so that you've got all these unique IP addresses for all of the sites and then managing all those accounts with the hosting providers, it can be tough. You've started a business around this. Can we talk a little bit about that? Basically, 
because I was having this problem of finding all the separate IP addresses and all the separate hosting accounts for my own private blog network, I eventually said, hey, there's got to be a better way. And so I ended up building a solution that initially was just for our internal use, but we've then released it out publicly, which is called Bulk Buy Hosting. And basically what we do is we go out and we obtain a ton of different hosting accounts from all of the major providers. So we've got, you know, accounts from HostGator, Bluehost and a small orange and all of the spots that if you're ever sitting there one night saying, where do I host my website? And you type that into Google, all of those guys that you're seeing when you do those sort of searches are basically the providers that we're using to then build this service that's built on top of their services. These services have existed in the past. I think the tricky part is the reliability of them, right? Like the trust factor. Here's my impression of what happens with both PBNs and bulk hosting services is that they kind of start the way you did. And then there's a temptation for them to get greedy because like growth will often mean compromising the security of the customer's assets. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like in the case of like a PBN network, I might build this like really beautiful PBN. You know, it's got like 85 high quality domains and they're all diversified and everything. And it's like, this is really working well for my sites. Why don't I sell access to it? And it's like the more customers I bring on it, it degrades the product. Yeah, definitely. One of the biggest risks there is actually having your PBN sites de-indexed is having them sit in a bad neighborhood or in other words, on the same IP address as too many other people's PBN sites. So what we've done in order to try and protect that is we've put a hard cap of we only add 40 PBN sites to any of the servers that we've got access to. Now, these servers generally have somewhere between 250 and some of them up to like 15, 1600 websites. So as a percentage of the overall websites on that server or IP address, the PBNs that we're adding are only a very small fraction of that. They're designed to you know, hide in plain sight. Do you feel like the bulk buy hosting service is a bigger opportunity than your niche portfolio sites? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's something that basically I've been building now over the past year. And then I've bought in a developer about six months ago to actually build a ton of automation for us in terms of automating the deploys to the servers and all of that aspect of it. Because initially it was me going in there, adding the accounts on these servers and then copy pasting the data for the customers. It's very much that sort of seven day startup MVP version of, hey, Will this service actually work? Are people interested in a public offering of this service? Yeah, it's definitely something that I can see growing to five times, 10 times what it is at the moment. To wheelbarrow out like the most tired cliche, it's like we've talked about the Amazon gold rush and it's the people who've sustained their wealth from the gold rush for the ones selling the shovels, not necessarily the ones panning for gold. And one of the themes of your journey for me is just because you got in the game, you showed up and you started doing things that were profitable. I've heard like eight different opportunities during the course of this conversation that don't have anything to do directly with Amazon affiliate links. We could theoretically turn around and start running a content service. We have got that internal tool for keyword research that we could turn around and offer publicly. There's a whole heap of things that you're right. As you turn up and start doing the business, you begin to solve your own problems. And quite often they're problems that everyone in the same space is facing. 
When you look back on this, I mean, I think it's fair to say you guys have been on just an incredible journey. Are there things that you wish you would have done a little bit differently? I've always sort of struggled with the concept of how quickly we can build and continue to build out new sites versus how much we're putting back into the business. So, you know, there's always this constant thing of trying to say, well, let's not just turn around and build 20 sites next month because that's going to eat up 30, 40 grand worth of capital. And we're not sure what's going to happen. There's always that little knife with a piece of string that is getting more and more threadbare and you're not sure when that's going to drop. And that's always the sort of problem with the affiliate SEO game is not knowing when that knife is going to drop. And so like we've had one of our websites which targeted more summer related keywords or you know keywords that were popular in the summer. We had one of those like that site hit midway through June last year, so just starting to hit the peak of the American summer and then boom, you know, this site that was on track to do 10k in the month of June just overnight de-indexed and stopped earning. I've read some of your case studies around the web, and it's really lively discussion around this topic of how critical is your PBN to the success of this business? And if someone's looking to follow in your footsteps, is that a necessity to get involved in that kind of game? As we said before with the e-readers example, you don't necessarily need a PBN if you're building one or two sites around you know, passion projects and interests that you have, if you've got another way of getting links. But If you're building a more competitive site where you're targeting podcasting microphones and people aren't really interested in sending you a link to your podcasting microphone review website, then a PBN is a solid way to get those links. Yes, there is a bit of a risk there. I mean, the thing that we have that I think is extremely important is that we don't sell links on our PBN to outside parties. And I've had plenty of people come to me and say, hey, Kevin, like, can I buy some links off of your PBN? I'm like, no, it's not worth for us with that network, the ROI on us building links to our own sites versus selling them. It's night and day. Like we've got to keep those links and protect those sites as best we can to link to our own affiliate sites. Here's a business opportunity. I'm sure you've thought of Kevin, what's the market value of your PBN right now? Just ballpark it. The number that I'd sort of use is based on what we charge for the link rentals for the couple of sites we've sold. I mean, my guess is around 150K per network that we've built. And so we've built two networks so far and we're in the process of building our third network. If you just had like money and a team, how much money does it cost to build that asset, would you say? Again, I'm sort of using average numbers from our business. On average, we're spending around $50 to $60 to buy one of those domains on the GoDaddy auctions. So it's a domain that somebody hasn't paid the renewal fee on. And before it expires, GoDaddy then offers it out on a public auction to purchase that domain. On top of that, we then spend about 20 to 25 bucks on new content for that site and roughly around five to six bucks to our site builder guy to actually again take that content build the finished site and get it ready for us to begin linking from so it doesn't take a giant calculator to determine that there's opportunity there in terms of pbns yeah my key philosophy whenever i'm chatting to people about pbns is 
the letter P is the most important part of it. In other words, some people will talk about having a PBN, but it's very much a public blog network. And they're the ones that Google have come after time and time again. I think it was back in 2012, there was a pretty popular one called Build My Rank, which got taken down in 2014. They came after the one that Spencer Hawes and his business partner Hayden Miyamoto built, which was called Rank Hero. And so once you start to publicly offer up those links to anybody and everybody, that's when you know it becomes more and more of a risk. And so that's why I sort of suggest to people that they keep those links private just for their own use. We're late into the episode now, Kevin, and the people that are remaining, they're the diehards. They might be sitting in their office thinking, you know what, this is real. And I want to stress too that you guys have been extraordinarily successful, but I wouldn't view you as like the Mark Zuckerbergs of the Amazon affiliate community or anything. You guys represent just one example of many people that are having success in this space. Do you think that's a fair characterization? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's a lot of public case studies out there as well actively now of new guys building sites and even people that are avoiding PBN links and using other strategies to obtain links. One of the ones that's been pretty popular in the last six months is a case study on a site called 10beasts.com, which is produced by a guy out of, I think he's from Bangladesh. The blog that he maintains is called Niche Pie. I'll give you the link afterwards to throw in the show notes. And so after about four months, he was doing about $4,500. And the more recent update, I think he has done $80,000 lifetime on the site now. And the site's only about six or eight months old. And that's avoiding using PBNs as well. And as an investor, I've been looking at a lot of sites like this to potentially invest in. And the stories are just one vignette. I was evaluating a site to potentially invest in. And the builder of that site was like in his early 20s. And he was living somewhere cheap in the world. And the sale price was worth more than my parents' home. And it just kind of occurred to me that like, Here's somebody who listened to an episode like this and thought, that's not a bad career option. I'm going to go somewhere affordable. I'm going to build these assets that I believe are valuable, that other investors believe are valuable. And I'm going to sell those assets to those people who want to buy them. And in the course of a few years, I am going to earn more than what others have spent their entire careers doing. It's stunning. There's a few examples of guys making, you know, 500k million dollar exits on Amazon affiliate sites. I'm pretty sure Empire Flippers have got one at the moment that's just shy of a million dollars. So it's doing about 30k a month from Amazon Associates. So yeah, there's plenty of wildly successful case studies out there compared to some of the numbers that those guys are doing. Like, you know, sure, we've made some really good bank, but those guys have made more. And, you know, the only difference is the luck that you have and, you know, the success you have in picking the niche. Kevin, I can imagine like versions of ourselves five, 10 years ago sitting. For me, the kind of the down reflection moment was always like 7.30 p.m. Friday night in my office when I was kind of like waiting for the traffic to die down because I had like an hour and a half commute. It was like often a little bit more effective for me just to stay in the office till eight rather than leave at 6.30. But this was a dark time for me. And I would often find myself like kind of at the maybe the last minute dregs of a podcast like this, like kind of poking around for opportunities. What do you have to say to that person that's saying, maybe I don't have to sit around the office. Maybe I could reduce my living expenses and build assets that I own. 
What sort of advice would you give to that person? For us, one of the key things that we do with everything, planning to come over here, with all the sites that we build, with the second business bought by hosting, all of that is very heavily planned and spreadsheeted. And so we've run through the numbers. We've made sure that, hey, is this a possibility that we can actually make this happen? Yes, like let's do it. You know, when we moved to Chiang Mai for the first three or four months until we achieved that break-even point, we're using an iPhone app and tracking every single expense down to the last one baht, which is, you know, a fraction of a US cent or maybe it's a couple US cents. Get those numbers, work out the numbers and make sure that you can actually have that runway to afford the startup costs and time so that you're not one of the people that other people are bitching about people that move to Chiang Mai and don't really do anything and go home after four months. Gavin, I appreciate you coming by the show and maybe certainly there will be a seismic shift in your industry at some point. Hopefully at that time, we can have you back and hear about what's going to happen next for Amazon affiliates. Certainly, that'd be great. First off, just a huge thanks to Kevin for taking the time to walk us through how his business works. I really appreciate it. It's inspiring. And maybe if, if you're still hanging on to this episode, this is a long one, then maybe you're inspired too. Maybe you're thinking about doing something about this information. And when I finished this interview, you know, because we do a lot of editing on shows. And when I submitted this interview to the team, I said, I don't want to cut stuff from this interview because a lot of times we're thinking, well, maybe we'll do a podcast that's a half an hour or whatever. And for this one, I'm just like, I just think this information is powerful. You know, if you've heard this episode and you think there's opportunities here, I think you're right. I think there are. And I think that it's not so, so difficult to put yourself in a place where you can take action on this stuff. But when I'm reflecting a little bit about how Kevin and Richard approached this when they encountered this information, it's interesting because, you know, he heard about the opportunity on Amazon through podcasts like this. It resonated with him more than like the startup service business kind of information resonated. So maybe that's you. Maybe you're thinking, okay, now what do I do? The answer might not be listen to more podcasts like this. How they approached it was they went all in. You know, they put themselves around others who were doing similar kinds of things that they wanted to do. And that's just immensely valuable. I don't know if we can overstate the importance of those masterminds that he went to of the small conference he mentioned in the Philippines of hanging out in Chiang Mai and just on a day-to-day basis being around handfuls and handfuls of other Amazon sellers that are just in that world. And also just the value of getting out of town a little bit and not having any distractions because managing your life can be a lot, you know, but if you go to Chiang Mai, you rent an apartment and you're just there, just you, your business partner, and a bunch of other people with a similar journey. And I'm not saying you have to go to Chiang Mai to do this stuff. There's people like this all around the world. I think it's immensely valuable. So big thanks to Kevin. Again, we're going to post all the show notes and everything to this episode at tropicalmba.com slash make money with Amazon. I'd love to hear your thoughts. And if you know people who are doing this, have any advice for us? Are you thinking about putting this advice into action? We'd love to hear from you. Good luck. And we'll be back next Thursday morning. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.